Come on, happy Sunday, Go Church. How you feel today? If you feel good, put your hands together. Come on now, what a great looking group. Honored to have everybody today in the room. You're sitting at our South Metro Atlanta campus. This is our broadcast campus. And most of you know this, but if you are visiting with us today, whether in person or online, uh, we're one church in multiple locations. So we've got a rowdy bunch of people in-house today. Come on, make some noise if you're rowdy and you're alive. Come on, hear them. And then every week we, uh, we use this broadcast location to live stream the message uh, to our Germantown campus family in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Uh, they're meeting this evening at 6 p.m. And so we welcome Germantown. Come on, can you welcome Germantown, your extended family? Come on. And then, of course, we welcome everybody watching online. So whoever you are, wherever you're watching from, we're really honored to have you here today. And then also want to pause to give honor to the incredibly brave military men and women and all of the awesome first responders. We do this every week where we pause to honor those that put their life on the line to serve and protect ours. So of all of the applause that you do today, uh, I think that this deserves, this group of people deserves the highest amount of applause of appreciation just below Jesus himself. So come on, can we do that together? Everybody online, everybody in Germantown, come on. Come on a little bit better, come on. Thank you, there we go. And of course, uh, unless you've uh, been living under a rock or in a cave, you know that this upcoming week is a big week in our country. Um, it is election week, and, uh, and not just at a, a national level, but also all the way down to local levels. Uh, individuals are running for office. And so I thought I'd just pause before we jump into the message uh, to remind all of us that regardless of the winning or losing of our preferred candidate for whatever office that may be, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are victorious. Come on, come on, let me get like 100 people to agree with that. I love, I love the scripture that reminds us that Jesus is using the earth as his footstool. Uh, every time I read that verse or I'm reminded of that verse, I get this image that, that Jesus is like in some lazy boy recliner and his feet are propped up on planet Earth. And it's a beautiful promise of hope to know that he's not worried about the outcome of this election or any future election, that he is King of Kings and he is Lord of Lords. And if we are in Jesus, we are victorious. And that is the truth. You've read the end of the book. Come on, the Bible. I've read the end of the book. And we win. Together we win. And this is a great opportunity. And I'm just going to, I'm going to do a little uh, a pastoral uh, love to my congregation for a moment. It's a great opportunity for the people of Go Church to rise up to a level of spiritual maturity in these next few days. As your pastor, I'm asking you to represent the kingdom well and to represent Go Church well because we serve one person and his name is Jesus, one God. And I believe again, regardless of if we have a Republican president or a Democratic president, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so don't fall into the trap or temptation of conversations that will lead you to an unhealthy place. Don't fall into the trap of temptation of social media, posting something that you're gonna regret later. Politics are not worth you losing a relationship with a family member or a coworker. Come on now. Love, love people the way that Jesus loves people. And I promise you this, it's all gonna be okay, come on. So together, can we just offer a quick prayer? A prayer over our country, a prayer over our nation, a prayer of unity, and that revival would sweep across this land. Father, we are trusting you, and we're believing that the best is yet to come. 
whatever the outcome of the upcoming election may be, God, we pray that you would get the glory and that you would get the honor. And Lord, that we would be careful with what we say and how we respond. And we would just take these next few days and weeks and maybe even months to come and we would walk with great maturity as we represent you first and foremost and we represent the body of Christ. So we honor you, we praise you. Now I pray for this message that you put in my heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May ears and eyes be opened and may your word never return void. And may you challenge us in a beautiful way that would drive us to our next step in you. So we pray all of these things in one name. That's the name Jesus. And together, everybody said, amen. Come on, one more time, give Jesus some praise. Come on. All right. So um, we're finishing up the book of Jonah, uh, four chapters long that has been power-packed of some spiritual truths and some principles for our everyday living. And if you include this Sunday, we've now journeyed together four Sundays consecutively on this book. We started in chapter one. Today, we're going to conclude chapter number four. Let me encourage you uh, to get something out to write with, because I want to give you a quick recap, and then we'll jump into the final chapter of our conversation and of this book today. So if you, if you begin this whole story in Jonah chapter number one, you see that God calls Jonah. Jonah is a prophet in Israel. God calls Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach against their sin. Jonah is incredibly reluctant. That's why many kind of call this book uh, about the reluctant or stubborn prophet or man. He's reluctant. It's not out of fear. It's out of the fact that he doesn't think that the grace of God should be extended to such evil people. See, Nineveh, which was the capital city of the empire of Assyria, was very wicked. Uh, They they were, and I want you to understand this, they were modern-day terrorists. If you were walking down the streets of Nineveh, Uh, They would take you and they would murder you. They would do the same to your family and the same with all of the people that were in company with you. So I'm going to give you kind of a little bit of perspective here because I think this is important. God forgiving the Ninevites and the way that Jonah felt about that would be the same way as God extending grace to Hitler or Osama bin Laden or someone that murdered a loved one in your family. There would be some internal wrestling with how could God forgive someone so evil? So Jonah is reluctant in chapter one, not out of fear, but he's like, nah, let them be destroyed. Death should be their punishment. So Jonah runs in the opposite direction. He goes down to the city of Joppa. There is a cruise liner port. He jumps on a boat. The boat is going to Tarshish, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. God says, you can run but you can't hide. So God sends a storm. The storm shows up. The sailors and the captain throw Jonah overboard. Once Jonah's feet hit the Mediterranean Sea, a big old whale comes and swallows up Jonah. If I were to recap chapter one in a thought, I would summarize it like this. Whenever we run from God, we will always run into problems. Come on now. Time and time again in my life, and maybe you can testify in your life, That whenever I run from God, I always run right into problems. God's way is always the best way. If you you agree with that, come on, give me an amen right there. So whenever we run from God, we run into problems. Then you get into chapter 2. Chapter 2, Jonah is now spending three days and three nights in the belly of a, a big old fish, a big old well. There his head is covered in seaweed and he's got no flashlight, he's got no pen, but 
He does have the power of prayer. And so he begins to pray. This is one of two times in this four chapter book that Jonah prays. We'll look at the second time today in chapter four. And, and there he prays and he has this revelation that salvation comes from only God. And Jonah has this beautiful reminder, and this is how I would summarize chapter two, is that God is faithful even when we're not faithful. How many of you know that that's the kind of God you serve? That God remains faithful even when you and I are not faithful. And so Jonah has this moment of repentance through the power of prayer, the moment that he repents and the moment that he says yes to God and he stops running from the call of God. Verse number 10 of Jonah chapter two says that that fish vomited Jonah into dry land. And then you get to chapter number three. Now Jonah is walking into the very city that he said he would never go to. And he's going to preach against the sin of the Ninevite people. It's a short sermon. We talked about this last, last Sunday. It's about eight words long and summarized. It says this, Jonah says, look, in 40 days, y'all gonna die. That's it. You got 40 days to get your stuff together because in 40 days, destruction is happening. And it's unbelievable because the king heard about this sermon. Revival broke out in Nineveh. He called a fast and over 120,000 people turned from their wickedness, turned from their evil ways. They repented of their sins and God's grace was manifested and experienced. It's, it's almost unbelievable that God's grace would show up. And that's really how I would summarize chapter three, that no matter how far sin takes you, God's grace can always reach you. Come on. No matter how far, there, you, you might think that you are the worst of all sinners. I've heard people say before, and maybe you're watching online for this very reason. You say, well, I can't come to church because if I came to church, you know, lightning would strike. Maybe you've said that. We know that's not true because you're here. I'm here. If lightning was going to strike because of the sin of mankind, it would have struck when you and I walked in the doors. That's not the kind of God that we serve. As long as you are alive, grace is available. So no matter how far in the sin you might be, God's grace can always reach you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I summarize those three chapters, here's what I think Jonah should be doing. Jonah should be celebrating. Jonah should be on top of the world. Jonah should be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Jonah should be voted by People Magazine as Man of the Year. I mean, if, if this happened in America, the headlines the next day after that sermon, people would elevate Jonah to the sexiest man in the world. Come on, that's how it works, right? And you would think that Jonah was this rock star, this superstar, and he was so proud and so confident. But it was actually the opposite that happened. Look at chapter number four, 11 verses long here. Like we've done in each week, I'm going to read the entire chapter to you. I think you'll find it beneficial. Here's what happens in chapter number four. Jonah says, but it greatly displeased him. Say what? He was so angered. He was so frustrated. Look at this. The word it. What is it? The grace of God. The mercy of God. The forgiveness of God. 
That is what grace, uh, pardon me, greatly displeased Jonah. Jonah was angry. Watch what happens. He became angry. Verse number two. So he prayed to the Lord. The second time you see him praying in chapter four. And he said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still in my own country? I told you I didn't want to go to Nineveh. Watch what he says in verse three. He says, I anticipated this very thing that happened. So I tried to run to Tarshish. And watch. He says, I knew. I knew. I want you to see what's happening in Jonah four. Jonah is having a prophet pity party. He's like, oh, God, I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you were compassionate. I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you were bound in mercy. I knew you were all those things that you said you were. That's why I didn't want to go. I wanted your fire to fall and your wrath to fall. But I knew that you would relent of disaster. So now take my life. If you're not going to take their life, take my life. Because for me, death is better than life. Go to verse number four. But the Lord said, come on, man. Uh, the Lord said, are you serious? The Lord said, you big baby. Uh, have, have you ever been uh, corrected by the Lord before? Come on. Uh, you, all of us, let's be honest today. In this room online, Germantown, we've all thrown our own pity parties. Come on, right? We've all, we've all talked back to God and God's been like, really, do you, do you have a good reason to be angry? And watch what Jonah does. Instead of Jonah being overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy of God, Jonah climbs up a mountain just east of the city. He made shelter for himself. He sat under the shade and he watched what would happen to the city. Even now, after God's revival, after the Holy Spirit moves, Jonah climbs on top of a mountain and he's just making camp, hoping that God changes his mind and Jonah can watch the city of Nineveh burn to the ground. So watch what the Lord does. I, I, I believe, and I've seen this not just through scripture, but in my own life, the Lord has a unique sense of humor. Anybody with me? Sometimes, and I don't want to get ahead of my, my message or my notes, but sometimes God will use some things to get your attention that'll make you say, hmm, come on now. So the Lord God provided a plant. On the count of three, everybody in the room online, Germantown, say plant. One, two, three. Plant. God provided a plant. It grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head, to relieve him of his discomfort. And Jonah was overjoyed by the plant. But when dawn came, watch how God works. When dawn came the next day, God provided a worm. On the count of three, everybody say worm. One, two, three worm and it attacked the plant and the plant withered and died when the sun came up verse number eight god provided a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on jonah's bald head come on somebody so he became faint he begged with all of his soul to die saying death is better to me than life and god said this to jonah verse nine do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant, son. And watch. And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to the point of death. Jonah, imagine with me. Come on, you can close your eyes if you need to get this image. Jonah is laying on the ground on top of a mountain, his head beating with sweat, laying in the fetal position, pouting over a plant. And the God of the universe over the intercom of heaven says, 
Do you have a good reason to be angry about this weed? And watch what happens. Then the Lord said this, verse 10, you had compassion on the plant. On this plant, you felt sorry over the plant that you did nothing to do with. You had nothing to do with it. You didn't work for it. You didn't water it. You didn't plant it. Watch. You didn't cause it to grow. It came up overnight and it perished overnight. He said, and yet you're so concerned and consumed by a plant. Watch verse 11, the final verse. And then the Lord says this. Should I not also have compassion on Nineveh? Nineveh. The great city in which there are more than 120,000 people. And they don't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. As well as many animals. And that is the end of the book. I always wondered, like, it just ends kind of like a cliffhanger. Like, what happened to Jonah? And, what, and why does God throw in animals in the very last verse? All of you animal lovers, this should give you some hope that your, your little pet Pookie might be in heaven. Come on, somebody. Maybe, maybe all dogs go to heaven. Come on now. Cats won't go to heaven. Come on, give me an amen right there. Dogs go to heaven, cats go to hell. Come on, that's the truth. If that offends you, deliverance is near. Come on, somebody, repent. Ain't nobody got time for no cats. Can I get a witness? Come on in the house. A little attitude. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, kick you to the curb, man. And throw in these animals. Come on. Let me give you four truths from, that's funny, by the way. It's funny. Jonah chapter four, I'm gonna give you four truths uh, that I really believe that God spoke to my heart and I pray that it's an encouragement to your heart as well. Four truths from Jonah, chapter number four. Again, I want you to write these down. Here's the first one. I really believe that at some point we are all going to experience the same frustration that Jonah was experiencing. God, why would you do that? I want to be honest with you and, and, and really transparent. I, I have lived in that season of frustration more times than I would like to admit. And I know what many of you are thinking, well, well, you're, you're a pastor. Yes, but I'm a person before I'm a pastor. And if you've ever been through some stuff, come on, am I talking to anybody that's been through some stuff? Like there have been moments where you said, God, why, why would you do that? Now for Jonah, it was giving grace to wicked people, but for you, what's your situation? An ex? Somebody dies? A, a, a failed relationship? Bankruptcy, a car accident, sickness, a house burned down. Uh, we went to lunch a, about two months ago with a family that the lady was at work and she said, the Lord said, you need to go home. So she ran into the boss's office and said, I got to go home. Why? The Lord told me to. When she pulled onto her street, her house was on fire, burnt to the ground. God, why would you do that? We, we've all had these moments. When my father died, God, why would you do that? When my sister died, God, why would you do that? I shared with you a couple weeks ago when I got sick in the first year of our marriage, God, why would you, why would you do that? And again, I hope that this doesn't uh, make you question my integrity or credibility, but, but I'm a human being and there have been times, and I think if you had the opportunity to admit it as well, I've been angry with the Lord. It's, it's what the first verse said, that it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. God, 
Why? And that, that three-letter word, why, is powerful. Why? And living, living in the season of why can be, a, can be a, a challenging season. I want to show you these two different areas highlighted in yellow. Let's look at greatly displeased. This English phrase or two words, greatly displeased, comes from the Hebrew word ra. It literally means evil. So now Jonah is dealing with his own evilness within his heart. Look at this second word, angry. The Hebrew word for angry is chara, and it means to burn with anger. Now I want to give you some encouragement here, uh, and I hope that this does that very thing. God is big enough to handle you being frustrated at him. God is big enough to handle your moments of being angry at him. Now lean in and listen. You cannot live there. You cannot take residence up there. Don't load up all your stuff in a U-Haul and move on to Angry Avenue. Don't do that. But God can handle your moments of being frustrated, your moments of asking God why. God can handle all of that. And if I give Jonah credit for anything, I give him credit for his turning back to the Lord in prayer. Jonah prays two times. He prays once when he's in trouble. We've all done that. Come on, somebody. Oh, yeah, we're really good at praying when we're in trouble. But he also prayed when he was in anger. In anger. And I started thinking about this. I started thinking about, about prayer, when we pray, how we pray, and Jonah's situation. And I, and I, I came to kind of this conclusion, and I tried not to allow my, my own thoughts or opinions to take uh, scripture out of context, but I think what's really happening with Jonah is this, is that for the first time, Jonah is recognizing that he's not really following God. He's trying to get God to follow him. And I think you and I do the same, at least I know I do. I, I've done a lot of counseling, a lot of conversations, and I honestly tried to write down the last time that somebody came to me about a situation they're praying about and then came back and said, God said no. I don't get that. Almost every time that somebody's come to me and say, hey, join me in prayer about this, about this relationship, or about this purchase, or about whatever, the answer is surprisingly always yes. Isn't that amazing? And I'm just gonna challenge you with this thought because it was really challenging to me. If every prayer you ever pray the God you serve always says yes. Maybe you're not really following God. Maybe you're getting God to follow you. Because the God that I serve, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. And as Garth Brooks says, sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Come on, country music fans, come on. Jonah prayed to the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Here's a question as we consider this first thought. How do you respond when your prayers aren't answered the way that you want? Jonah's prayer was, destroy the people. And God said, no. And how do you respond whenever you begin to pray and God does the very opposite of the thing that you're asking him to do? Talk about a stretch of faith. I think we all get in these moments where we say, God, why would you do that? And when we begin to pray, how do you respond when God gives you an answer that you really didn't like? 
Because it'll happen. If you're really following God, the Bible says that his ways are not like your ways. His thoughts are not like your thoughts. God works in mysterious. Somebody say mysterious. Mysterious Mysterious ways. So how do you respond when your prayers aren't answered the way that you want them to be answered? All right, I got four truths. I'm running out of time. Let me give you the second one. Everybody feeling good so far? All right. The second truth that I see from Jonah chapter 4 is this thought right here. I believe that we have all experienced PTSDSH. That response was the same response my wife gave me when I said this phrase to her as well. What is PTSDSH? I'm so glad you asked. I believe we've all experienced people that have said or did something hurtful. All of us. Come on. This is a church full of people that are hurt by people. I mean, if you've, if you've lived for any period of time, somebody has done something or somebody has said something that has been hurtful to you. An absent father, an abusive mother, unloving parents, a separated spouse, disobedient children, a terrible boss. Here's one, church hurt. Man, sometimes the deepest hurt is church hurt. Come on now. A lot of people watching online today or maybe refusing to watch online or come to a church because of church hurt. You know, the older I get, the more I realize is that people are dumb. That felt good. Now look at somebody and tell them, say, people are dumb. You're going to feel the same freedom I just felt. Go ahead, tell them. We are. We're bad people. Watch watch what happens here. Whenever somebody says something or does something that hurts you, many of us, we begin to suppress that. And whenever you suppress that, what happens? Bitterness creeps in. Resentment creeps in. Unforgiveness creeps in. And I'm telling you that many of us respond the same way that Jonah responds. Now, the situation or the story is not exactly the hurt that you felt, but Jonah feels hurt. And watch what, his, watch what his request is. Take my life from me. Can I tell you that's, that's the very heartbeat of bitterness is to rob you of life? That's the very heartbeat of unforgiveness is to take life from you, to steal joy from you? I, I, I heard it this way before, and I, I believe it to be so true that that bitterness is like drinking poison thinking that if we drink the poison, it will hurt the people that hurt us. Bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment only hurts you. It only hurts me. And we've all experienced it. And I wish that I had the ability to, to like, and especially over my children, to, to create this bubble of protection that would allow them to walk through this life hurt-free from the stupidity of people. But, but that's just not possible. So, so what happens now is, is that we have to process, are we going to be good with God giving grace to the people that have hurt you? Here's what, here's what I think is happening with Jonah. Jonah's saying this, God, thank you for my second chance, but I'm not willing to give a second chance to Nineveh. God, thank you for being patient with me, but I'm not willing to be patient with Nineveh. God, thank you for the grace that you've given my life, but I'm not willing to extend grace 
to the people that I feel don't deserve it. So are, are you good with giving grace to the people that have hurt you? Are you good with offering forgiveness? Are you good with getting the counseling or having the conversation and, and moving forward? Or are you going to be just like Jonah and allow the people that have done you wrong to try to steal life from you? Everybody look at me for a second, listen to me. In my own life, here's what I've experienced. The unforgiveness is only holding me back. The bitterness only holds me back. These people are going on about their business. They're living their own life, doing their own thing. And it's a habitual pattern. They're out hurting other people. But listen to me, hurt people hurt people. Write that down, come on. Hurt people hurt people. I can no longer allow the pain that is caused by other people to keep me from pursuing my promise in Christ. And so God, the same way that you gave JC grace, I'm ready for you to give grace to the people that did me wrong. This goes deep for many of you. Uh, th this goes far beyond a, a 35 minute sermon. This goes into some deep places of of need of counseling for you, but some of you have been so, so bound to bitterness and unforgiveness because of the, the stupidity of others. I think about Jesus being on the cross. I mean, they, they beat him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They, they put a crown of thorns on his head and they, they pierced his side. And, and if anybody had the ability and the authority to just get them. And I've, I've been there. Come on, have you? I, I've told the Lord, Lord, can you just like sick them? <laughs> if anybody had the power to do it, it was Jesus. But do you know what Jesus does in that moment? He offers forgiveness. And he says, hey, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. And I want you to see something because we get... We get really caught up in the two highlighted words, forgive them, and we miss another very liberating truth out of the lips of Jesus. He says, because they don't know what they're doing. I don't know if the people that have hurt you even realize that they've hurt you at the depth that they've hurt you. Does that make sense? I don't know if they even got it, if they understand how painful it is. And yet Jesus says, Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Again, I wish I had the ability to put you in a, uh, a protective shrink wrap, if you will, from people and things they say and stuff they do. And, and I was so troubled this week because I, I let some, some hurt kind of surface in my heart of things that people have said. And you always give me a chance to let this be kind of a, a therapy session for me, but... One of the hardest parts of being a pastor is I can't tell the truth about people. I'm not, I'm not allowed to be like, well, let me tell you about you. Coming at me like that, let me tell you about you and your mom and them. Come on, somebody. Huh? <laughs> now, when I get home, I'm like, let me tell you about your mom and them. Man, and just some people, some people, the things they say, the stuff you've read on Social media, thank God that we can leverage social media to perpetuate the gospel. But, Lord, I'm okay if you shut it down. The stuff on there and the family drama. Man, some of y'all are like one crazy uncle away from the old Jerry Springer show. Come on now, like family, family hurt. That's deep. That's hard to overcome. 
I talked to somebody the other day. He said, never even met my father, they said. Man, that's so difficult. And yet, at the end of the day, if you hold on to the resentment, if you hold on to the bitterness, it only will establish deep roots and it will keep you from moving forward. So are you good with God giving grace to the people that you disgrace? Are you good with God forgiving the people that you wrestle forgiving? Because Jesus said, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I feel led of the Holy Spirit to give you an exercise, so I'm going to do it. Nobody's looking around. This is just your moment. You ought to write down the name of the person or the people that have hurt you. And between now and next week, you just pray over them. I'm not asking you to call them, text them, take them out for sweet tea. That's what we drink here in the South. I ain't telling you to do all that. But will you pray that God will give them the same grace that you and I have experienced? And just as a sign of like, hey, I'm all in. Let's put our hands together right here. Come on and give Jesus some praise. Come on, church. There is freedom in forgiveness. There is freedom in forgiveness. Two more truths in about 12 minutes we'll be finished. All right, truth number three from Jonah 4, and this is a repeated uh, truth all throughout the four chapters. God has a way of providing something or someone to get your attention. I talked about the unique sense of humor that God has, and he really does. God has a unique way of providing something or someone so that our attention can be moved from the things of this world and get back on to the things of God. God wants you to have your attention on him. It's incredibly important. This is where trusting in him and faith becomes a necessity. And so God has this way of providing something or someone in an unexpected time to get your attention, to make you think, hmm, okay, God, let me show you a couple things here in all four chapters. Jonah 1, the Lord what? Say the word provided. A great wind, verse four. Verse number 17, the Lord what? A great fish. I don't know about you, but if I get eaten up by a fish, Lord, you got my attention, hello? Chapter two, the Lord provided a way out. He's always got a way of bringing, bringing provision. Chapter number three, look at these two verses. Verse number four, the Lord provided a message. For the people of Nineveh, a word came. Verse number 10, the Lord provided grace. Then you get into chapter number four, look at this. The Lord provided a plant. The Lord provided a worm. The Lord provided a wind. It's like all throughout this story and, and so many stories in the Old and New Testament, we see that God has this way of using something or someone to get our attention. I, I had this thought, I'm gonna share it with you. He's the God of the wind, the whale, the word, the weed, and the worm. Come on now. That's what he is. He's the God of the wind, the whale, the word, the weed, and the worm. And just for a little context, I'm not talking about cannabis here, okay? I just, just want to make sure you know. Some of you are like, dude, I love this church, man. I mean, I know that he creates all things, but some of y'all got real happy. He's like, yeah, he's the God of the weed. <laughs> just let's just make sure we're on the same page. This is synonymous with plant. I just needed a word with a W. Come on, can you give me a witness? <laughs> Some of y'all, uh, anyway, help me, Jesus. The stoning of Stephen, not that kind of stoning. Hello? God has this unique way of using things or people to get our attention 
to sound the alarm, to, to be a banner before us that would challenge us that the way that we're on, the, the path that we're on is a straight way to destruction. When I was uh, in high school, I was, man, just living for the world, but my mom was attending this church, and uh, I was in this. Y'all going to love this, by the way. I was in. I was a senior in high school, and I was in a boy band. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. And we were called the fifth element. Y'all don't know. You do not know. And so we would have opportunities to travel and to sing at different places, and uh, I, wa I was more of the face of the group. Come on, hello. And um, we, we would sing the national anthem at different sporting events and all of that, and so... The youth pastor at my mom's church, he was sneaky. He invited the fifth element to come and to sing at the youth group's Christmas party. So he wanted us to do some acapella Christmas music. And so, you know, we said yeah to the invitation just to go sing some Christmas songs. Little did I know that God would use that person as a wake-up call for my life. Following that that debut of the fifth element acapella Christmas cantata. Come on. I received in the mail a cassette tape. Now, most of you millennials in the room, you don't know what a cassette tape is. So I'm going to help you real quick. It was the wave of the future back then. A little cassette tape. Show of hands, both campuses. Cassette tape. How many of you remember that? Come on. How many of you still own cassette tapes? Come on. I saw somebody out in the community a few weeks ago, and they said, oh, I'd love to get a cassette tape of one of your sermons. I said, he's a God of miracles. We'll figure out a way. Come on now. Cassette tape of sermons. I got a cassette tape in the mail. This was uh, 1999. I'm driving in my little Ford Ranger stepside pickup truck, and I put that cassette tape in, and it was the voice of that youth pastor. JC, this is Kevin. And I wanted to tell you, you guys did a great job singing at that youth group Christmas party. And I also want to tell you that the hand of God is on your life. And if in this moment, I'm listening to that cassette tape and tears are weeping down my face. If in this moment, JC, you'll confess your sins and you'll turn your heart to God, God's going to do great things with you. So you know what I did? I took out that cassette tape and I threw it out the window. I didn't want nothing to do with God and I didn't want nothing to do with repentance. Come on. Two days later, guess what showed up? Another cassette tape. Hey, JC, I know you threw that other cassette tape out the window. <laughs> Four months. Wind, whale, word, plant. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Worm. To get my attention. Let me ask you, in what way has God been speaking to you in this season to try to get your attention I'm not trying to over-spiritualize COVID, but hello? Yeah. I mean, hello? I'm not trying to over-spiritualize a presidential election, but hello? If you don't think we're living in the last days, we gotta wake up. God has been trying to speak to you to get your attention. I don't know if you've ever woke, woken up in the middle of the night, but you, you're hungry. And you go to the refrigerator, and you just stand there, and you look inside. Come on, teenagers, help me out for a minute. You're like, we ain't got nothing in this house. 
I always wonder, my mom would be, my mom would say things like, you weren't raised in a barn, shut the door, shut the refrigerator. I just wonder, maybe that middle of the night craving is for something more than Oreos and milk. Maybe it's God waking you up at 2, 3, 4 a.m. to get your attention. Maybe, maybe that job loss wasn't a setback, but it was a setup. Come on, somebody. Maybe the challenges, maybe the pain, maybe the sickness, maybe the circumstance, maybe the situation is just God trying to get your attention, to get off of the things of this world and to fix your eyes on the one that can fix it all. Give me 200 people that know what I'm talking about. Yeah. He's the God of the wind. He's the God of the whale. He's the God of the worm. God has a way of showing up in your life. I, I challenge you, I gave you some homework, let me keep going. I challenge you this week to pick up on the signs. The signs, the moments that you know God is speaking to me. I want you to know something, listen, we gotta move on. God is always speaking. We're just too busy to really listen. What, what way has God been trying to get your attention. Come on, is this good? We're almost done. Hang in there for a few more minutes. The fourth truth is this, and uh, this one, this one really got me. Life is not about you. Life is about Nineveh. Think about that. This story ends summarizing the whole gospel. This life that you live it's not about you. I'm not against nice things and nice homes and nice cars and nice clothes and, you know, comfortable 401ks. Work hard and make the investment and bless your family. But listen to me. The life you live, it's far more than those things. You know what life is really about? You know what Nineveh is really about? It's about lost people, hurting people broken people, sin-filled people. You are alive today because God has anointed you to preach good news. God has given you the gifts and the talents that you have to be the mouthpiece for the kingdom of God in a broken and hurting world. In Germantown, in Frederick, in Silver Spring, in Gaithersburg, in Rockville, and the whole greater Washington, D.C. area, right here in Sharpsburg, in Peachtree City, in Noonan, and Sonoa, and Tyrone, and all around, there are people that are broken. They're, they're lost. And they don't know what the answer is, but, but you do. They don't know where hope or help could come from, but, but you do. And, and God said to Jonah, should I not have compassion on the lost people? I got to say something because I feel really free today. This has been so helpful for me getting some things off my chest. One of the hard parts of pastoring is seeing families that have come and then they transition either out of church altogether or to another church. Some of those conversations I have, if they're kind enough to talk about the transition of why they're no longer here, it usually comes back to preference or style. And I get that. But I want to tell you something. I, I can't do much about preference or style. Because if I try to please everybody, I'm not going to make anybody happy. And if I try to be something that I'm not, then I'm not operating in the gifting that God has wired me with. 
But I do make a commitment to you and with you that beyond preference, beyond style, what if Go Church was committed to being a church that goes after lost people, broken people, the young men and young women in Montgomery County and Coweta County that, that have no fathers, to partnering with single parents, to helping uh, those individuals that are homeless with no food and no shelter and no clothes. God forbid that wherever there's a go church that there's hungry people. If there's hungry people in our community, we're not doing our job for the people that are bound to addiction and they don't know that there's a way to break free. Let go church be about the Ninevites that can tell them about how Christ has set us free. Come on, give me a good amen right there. Let's be committed to go to Nineveh. You are alive for Nineveh. You're alive for lost people. Don't ever forget it. Get out of the rut of the same old, same old routine. Monday through Friday, nine to five, clock in, clock out. There is more to life. There's more to life. Get off the sideline, get in the game. Now is the time because time is running out. Should I not have compassion on the Ninevites? Oh God, you had compassion on me. You gave me grace. So Lord, if you can use anything, use me to go tell the whole world that Jesus lives. Come on, is anybody with me? Come on, give God some praise. Go church exists to love people. We exist to love anyone, anyone from anywhere into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That, ladies and gentlemen, I will always be committed to. I'm married to the vision. I'm just dating the method. Let me ask you this question. Are you ready to love people, to love them to life, for God to use you, Jonah, to go to the great city of Nineveh and love people into a relationship with him? Let me pray for you. Every head bowed, both locations, online as well. Lord, before we can go, we have to be right with you. So in this room, in our Germantown campus, and people watching online, I don't want to miss this moment, a moment of repentance and you drawing us back. Maybe this series, maybe this sermon has been one of the things that you're using to get the attention of people. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would move in this moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to take just a moment here and do some self-assessment. Are you right with God? Is your heart right with God? Before you leave this room, because this is the only moment that you're promised, get right with the Lord. Put your sin before the Father in the same way that God extended grace to Nineveh. You can experience the grace of God in your own life. And then you can make a commitment to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ extended. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The only people looking right now is me on this stage and our campus pastors. Because I want them to have a moment to recognize those of you that would respond. So if you're here and you would say, Pastor JC, and I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. For some of you, this is the first time that you would ever say yes to a relationship with Christ. For others of you would say, I'm coming home. I'm coming back. I wanna get right with God. If that's you, 
Come on, Germantown, I want you to lift your hands. Everybody in this room, come on, lift your hands. Thank you. Thank you, young man. Thank you, right here to my right. Thank you, sir. The purple shirt, I see you, thank you. Anybody else, come on, don't miss this moment. Thank you, over here in the back. Both hands lifted, I see your hand. Come on, anybody else today? Thank you, right here in the middle. God bless you. Thank you. Come on, Germantown, lift your hands. Come on, this is your moment. Father, thank you, thank you, sir. With your family today, we're proud of you, man. God bless you, thank you, ma'am. Both hands lifted high. Thank you, Jesus. All right, everybody in the room, Germantown as well, take your hands, put them over your heart. Sir, I see you in the back. I don't wanna leave you out, I see your hands, thank you. And repeat this prayer after me, Father God, Come on, church, say it like you mean it. Father God, I thank you for loving me the way you do. And today, I confess my sin and I commit my life to you, Jesus. Wash me clean and make me a new person. And as I make this step of faith, I ask that you would use me to go to the lost cities and to reach lost people and tell them about the same grace and the same freedom that I just found. So I honor you with my life and not just my lips. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And together, everybody said amen and amen. Come on, give Jesus the highest praise. Come on.